When I was growing up, I remember whenever people mentioned President Ronald Reagan, they always mentioned that he was an actor. And there was always a slight sense of disbelief about it, like it was such an unusual thing for a former actor to have risen to the presidency. In fact, in one of the most iconic moments in the hit 1985 movie, Back to the Future, Doc Brown reacts incredulously when hearing that Ronald Reagan was president in 1985, since he only knew Reagan as an actor. Somehow, this supposedly B-movie actor ended up becoming president of the United States and changed American politics forever. How did this happen? Our guest today has some insight on that question. He is Professor Paul Kanger of uh, Grove City College. And among other things, he's a visiting fellow at the Hoover Institution on War, Revolution, and Peace at Stanford University. He's one of the foremost experts on President Reagan's life and has written multiple books on, on President Reagan, including The Crusader, Ronald Reagan, and The Fall of Communism. Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world. From forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Professor Kanger, thank you for being a guest on our, our podcast. 
Well, thank you, Richard, and thanks for taking me back to memory lane. I was um, I was 18 years old when Back to the Future came out, and you can't make this up. I actually wrote about it this morning, and which is ah. the first time I've ever written about it. I'm doing I'm doing the history of the American Spectator, where I've been a columnist for a long time, and and I'm doing my chapter right now in the 1980s, and and I'm talking about how. It was um, it was cool to be a conservative in the 1980s, and I quote on that people from uh, the most unlikely people: Malcolm Gladwell, Mark Lilla, who both worked at American Spectator in the 1980s, Andrew Ferguson, uh, R.M. Terrell Jr. is the founder of that publication. And I was trying to think, how do you really convey that to somebody who didn't live through it? And and I said, people old enough to remember will, will remember Family Ties with Michael J. Fox. Who was this, uh, you know, wisecracking, um, suit-wearing, you know, young conservative named Alex P. Keaton with uh, with a cute sister Mallory, right? And <laughs> and the course. parents who were who were ex hippies, and he was and 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 I, and I noted he did Back to the Future, which even my kids, my kids don't know about Family Ties, but they know about Back to the Future, and and yeah, that was. That's a kind of iconic moment in that film, and it's Doc played by Christopher. What was his last name? Lloyd. Yeah, Christopher Lloyd, who was in Taxi in the 1980s, just a just a wonderful actor. And you know, Ronald Reagan would have said to that. You know, Reagan was once asked, "How could a, how could a president be have been an actor?" And he said, "I don't see how you could be president without without having been an actor." <laughs> yeah, fair and, point. Right, right. And yeah. so he was so good. They're really staging the presidency, which a lot of people attacked as kind of you know superficial, but it wasn't that at all. I mean, this is somebody who really understood audience, really understood presidents, uh, presence, really understood persona, and you know Reagan. For people listening right now who maybe might have a teacher or professor that that doesn't like Reagan, you know, Reagan won forty nine out of fifty states. In 1984, you know, pretty much everybody liked this guy. If, frankly, even the people who didn't vote for him, he was he was universally liked. And I don't know if we'll if we'll ever see another president like that again, frankly. But um, that's something we could talk about. Sure. So you've written a book on President Reagan's religious faith and how that in, uh, informed his view on communism. So let's unpack that a little bit. So tell me about his youth in Illinois and his, and his family life. Yeah. So the first book I did on Reagan, and I think I've done eight, I, I, I had to count them a few, a few months ago from somebody who needed to know how, how many I did. Actually, it was for um, Reagan, the movie, which is, uh, which is based on my second book on Reagan, Ronald Reagan and the fall of communism. So is I, that the Dennis Quaid yeah, film that's exactly. coming out? That, that's the it, Dennis. Wow. Yeah. That's the Dennis. Quaid so it's one. based on your, your book. It is. In fact, I shamelessly put a poster board up. If you can see it in the background of, uh, that somebody, that somebody developed from the, from the cover of that book, the Crusader Ronald Reagan, the Fall of Communism, which was published by um, Harper Perennial. It's put, it's still by Harper Perennial. Two thousand seven paperback came out in hardcover. Two thousand six, and so the way it all started was I I, gra- I graduated with my PhD in nineteen ninety seven. I was in I was a senior in college nineteen eighty nine ninety the year that the Berlin Wall fell. I was a pre med major. 
of all things. I, I worked for the organ transplant team at the University of Pittsburgh. This is a long, long story, but totally captivated by the historical events going on around me. I didn't know what a Republican or a Democrat was, a conservative or a liberal, but I knew I was living through some wild times. And long story, but I ended up studying that in graduate school. I ended up focusing on the big question of how did the Cold War end? And what specifically were the roles of the major players? Reagan, Mikhail Gorbachev, Pope John Paul II. In fact, I did, a, I did a book called A Pope and a President on Reagan and John Paul II. came out in 2017. And you could, you could add a Pope and a President and a General Secretary. Gorbachev's really the third character in that book. So I really focused on this person of Reagan and you know, how, how did this happen? And I remember in, in college at the time, people who were liberals saying, you know, well, you know, Re you know, Reagan didn't intend any of this. He didn't intend for communism to fall. And I, and I knew enough to remember that, wait a second, I've lived through the 80s. This guy has been mocked the whole time for Star Wars, for calling it an evil empire, for predicting that communism would get, was going to end up on the ash heap of history. That, Reagan said in his June 1982 speech at Westminster, which was the day after he met with Pope John Paul II at the Vatican, about a year after both were survived assassination attempts. And Lou Cannon, really the first Reagan biographer, said that that Westminster speech was prophetic. He was the Washington Post White House correspondent, and he said predictive of events that would happen in the late 1980s. So I knew, Richard, that Reagan had predicted all of this stuff and, and was ridiculed for it. And then when it happened... All the ridiculers are saying, well, you know, he's an idiot. He didn't intend for this to happen, as if they forgot everything they just criticized him for that proceeded to happen. So, so I very kind of objectively, as a science major, a science guy, get the test tubes out, right? Get the scales and read the New York Times and read the New Republic and National Review and all these other publications. So I spent several years trying to figure out how did this happen? Went to the Reagan Library, first time of, boy, a dozen different summers, uh, many, 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 many days, summer of 2001. And the first thing that I asked for was a copy of the, um, the Evil Empire speech. And I should back up a little bit. So I said to my archivist, she said, well, what is it you really want to look for? I said, well, I want to know what Reagan knew. I want to know what he said, which words were his, which ideas were his, what stuff and which speeches were his. And she said, okay, for that, you want the, P the PHF. I said, what's the PHF? She said, the presidential handwriting file. So that is a file that has every document that has Reagan writing on it, you know, not just a signature, but actual writing on it. I said, yeah, yeah, that's what I want to see. And I said, I'd like to see the evil empire speech. So she brings out, she says, okay, and I'm, and I'm picturing a little manila folder, right? She brings out a cart, and the cart has multiple stacks, right, rows on its shelves. So what's this? She said, it's the evil empire speech. And there's all these different drafts. It began with uh, Anthony Dolan, Tony Dolan, Reagan's chief speech writer, 30-something at the time, his initial draft, which Reagan just rewrote over and over and over again. I'm looking through all of this. And seeing Reagan's additions to it, and Reagan was absolutely, beyond any question, quite literally, at the very least, co-author of the speech. Half of those words are his, including words like, um, let us remember that they are the focus of evil in the modern world, quotes of C.S. Lewis, quotes of the, from the Screwtape Letters, 
um, you know, quotes, th- things like um, a really meaningful line. And let us also remember that we should pray for those people who live in that totalitarian darkness, right? He's so not- it really belies the idea of him just being kind of like a figurehead. Right. Uh, repeating what other people say. Yeah. That's exactly right. In fact, I think the second page of the Evil Empire text was completely crossed out with one giant X with like a circle around it. And then you flip it. And and then the next page is com- it's all completely rewritten. I did a book called Eleven Principles of a Reagan Conservative, and um, the people at the at the Reagan Library gave me permission to reprint that entire uh, a, a PDF, a picture of that entire file, so you could see that. I don't think it's I, th- I don't think the book's available online, but you could see it there the whole the whole speech. So to answer your question about Reagan's faith, I know that's kind of a long setup for that, but I saw there. That you know, wow! Look at the, the the kind of the most deep, stirring, even profound theological statements in that speech are coming from Reagan. And the more and more that I looked at that throughout that first summer of two thousand one, I started finding all this information on the faith of Reagan. I did not expect that. I did not expect to see that. And when I came back and spent about a year cobbling all this together, I shared it with some of my colleagues. The manuscript. With um, with my colleagues at Grove City College, and they said they said you you've really got two separate books here. These three chapters on Reagan's faith, this is what's going to shock everybody. And and I decided at that point to pull that part out, and that book became known as God and Ronald Reagan, and then the other book became known as The Crusader: Ronald Reagan and the Fall of Communism. Harper Collins ended up publishing both. And they published, talk about providential, right? They published God and Ronald Reagan in February 2004 after not moving on it for at least a year, maybe maybe longer than that. And that turned out to be Reagan's 93rd birthday. At that point, he would have been the longest living president, right? No one had, no president had lived past 90 at that point. And it did really, really well. It made the New York Times extended bestseller list. I think it made like number 19 or 16 or something like that. This is the God and Ronald Reagan. God and Ronald Reagan. Reagan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I did all sorts of you know, radio, TV shows. And then Reagan died on June 5th, 2004, a few months later. And all those people that had me on all their shows from – you know, the you know, the Associated Press called and asked me if I could do join them on radio to do coverage of Reagan's funeral that week. Uh, Bill O'Reilly of the O'Reilly Factor, I must have done a show in February, I think I did, called me back to have me on in June 2004 to talk about Reagan's faith. And so and so that's when the book made it on the bestseller list again. And, and that's when, you know, again, Providential – at that point, June t- 2004, Reagan died. Everyone wanted to know afterlife questions, right? Where was Reagan? What did Reagan believe? What did Reagan think about God? So the, so the timing on it um, ter- ter- turned out to be perfect. That's kind of a so long that, that was a whirlwind year. That was a whirlwind year for you, 2004. Yeah, that, that week, the week that he died, I did, I did 50, 60 radio, TV interviews. It was unbelievable. I, in fact, I should check the box that I have. I think I saved it. Uh, the Monday, maybe, of that week, I must have did 12, 15, 20 interviews. It was just, it was just off the charts. It's a good thing it was summer. I didn't have classes. 
And I got a call from Bill Clark, who was Reagan's closest aide and friend. I ended up becoming Bill Clark's biographer. He was like a grandfather to me. I actually keep a picture of Clark framed. My wife did this for me on my uh, on my desk here. And Clark called me from Washington and he said, hey, I got great news. I can get you I can get you in for Reagan's funeral at the National Cathedral. And I said, wow. Well, that, well, that's great, Bill, but I, I just, I don't know how I can get there. All I'm doing, I'm literally completely booked almost every minute some days talking talking about Reagan. He said, well, what are you talking about? I said, well, I'm talking about his faith, his belief in God. He said, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm pulling back the invitation. Your most important thing to do right now is just do that. Just, just talk about Reagan, talk about his faith, teach people what he really believed. And so I stayed home. And that's what I did. That's that's what I focus on. Yeah, it was really a, a whirlwind week for sure. Wow. Yeah. So, and I I was in college at the time, and I I don't think I could have appreciated at that time just how important that was. Actually, just as an aside, I, I that summer I worked on. Uh, it was the first time I moved out to Washington D.C., and uh, I started my internship a week after the funeral on Capitol Hill. So everyone was still talking about. Wow. The you know the funeral and going to to um, pay their respects and I just missed it by a week which was yeah. uh, something that I, I regret but I had finals you know and my internship hadn't started I I did get to pay my respects to President uh, George H W Bush a couple years ago uh, on Capitol Hill but anyways um, well, no that's well and what you missed amazing. that the the lines and the crowds that were there in Washington I I wasn't there to witness it but. There hadn't been anything like it since Kennedy's assassination. And it was like that back in L.A. I remember watching on TV the, when, when Reagan's body was brought back to California and they, and they were driving the car up. It was either 101 or maybe Route 5. And you could see he, he's, the car is driving up on a completely cleared road, completely stopped so he can get through. I get choked up thinking about it. And people in the other lane... The car, call the car stopped in the other lane while people stopped just, just to, just to like sort of bow or salute as, as the hearse went by. I'll never forget seeing on CNN or somewhere a guy standing on the hood of his car, just in, in attention like this, right? You know, as, as the hearse went by on the other side of the road. And I had a number of people who were journalists, some of them who, were younger, didn't really know about the Reagan years, you know, probably registered Democrats, didn't totally understand it. And they and they said, this is really something. Are, are, are you surprised by this? And I said, well, not really. I said, you know, Reagan was Reagan was really loved. I mean, compared to Kennedy, it, it, Kennedy was in Dallas to campaign a year early because he, he didn't think he could, he could get reelected. Um, he, he he almost lost in 60 to Nixon. In fact, some people that he did lose in 1960 to, to, to Nixon. Reagan won 44 out of 50 states in 1980, 49 out of 50 in 84. Ronald Reagan twice won California, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and even Massachusetts. All right, I, you're probably never going to see that from a Republican again. So you know that's that's how much. That's hard the, to imagine now. <laughs> yeah, we won the electoral college in 1984, five twenty-five to thirteen. In 1980, four eighty-nine to forty-nine against an incumbent. 
So that, you know, that's why um, a lot of people don't get this. They say, well, you know, you're, you're too kind to Reagan. It's like hagiography. And I tell them, everybody liked Reagan. What do you, what, you know, what, what do you mean? I mean, this is, this is somebody that, 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 that most people like. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. His mother was a woman of faith, uh, from, from what I've read. Uh, how did that influence him? And what was his religious life like at home growing up? Yeah, the mother was the, really the crucial figure, the formative figure. She was with the the Disciples of Christ denomination, which started out of the Midwest, even sort of my area, Western Pennsylvania, into Ohio, Indiana, Illinois. She was she she was a kind of a born again Christian, which is a term we would use today. They didn't use that back then. Probably uh, you know saved to use the language at a at a Billy Sunday rally in the in the early 1900s. Her husband Jack was Catholic. In fact, they were they were both born in 1883, and and they were they were married in 1904 at the Church of the Immaculate Conception, in uh, in in Fulton, Illinois, which begs an interesting question, which is whether or not Reagan was baptized in that church, which is something I have not been able to find, uh, and particularly because a, a a secretary at the diocese refuses to look it up. <laughs> When when we call her because we're not members of the family, and have sent letters and everything else, she won't look, so we can't find out. But anyway, it's another subject. This is how historical research oh, very, actually very, works. Wow, very uh, very uh, stubborn. Uh, crazy. I guess she goes by the rules there. Yep, yep, it's crazy. In reality, this is how real world historical research works. So they, uh, so the father was, Jack was, a lot of people consider him a kind of an apathetic Catholic. I don't know. I can't say that. He, he was a member of the Knights of Columbus. His, the other son, Reagan's brother, Neil, who they called Moon, ended up being a very devout Catholic, daily communicant uh, till the day that he died and you know, went to mass with the father. But but Reagan followed his mother's footsteps, and she was really you know on fire for the Lord, as they put it. In fact, they had at that Sunday school at the at the church where they grew up on South Hennepin Avenue in Dixon, Illinois. There were several Bible studies every Sunday. The pastor Ben Cleaver had a class. The pastor's wife had a class. Nell had what was called his mother. Nell had what was called the True Blue Sunday School class. That was the most popular. By the way, Reagan had a Sunday school class where he taught young boys at the church, and that was very popular as well. All of this stuff I learned simply by going into Reagan's church in, in Dixon, Illinois. And when I went there, 
the archivist at the church told me at the time, I, I, I said, do you have like records of the Sunday school class? He said, oh yeah, in the basement, we have, we have bound hard copies. And I went into the basement, you know, <sighs> blow the dust off these things. Yeah, literally blow the dust off them. Look in there. You can see you know, the people who attended each class each week, the roster, how much they tithed, right? Your little boy is getting like a nickel, a penny, whatever. And I looked at this and I, and I said, this looks like it's never even been looked at in like 70 years. And Ron Marlowe, the church historian, said it hasn't. You know, no, you know, no biographers even looked, right? They don't even, you know, they, that's the kind of historic, especially with academics, they don't do that kind of historical research. They just cite other academics. Hmm. So, so I was in there reading all of this. I dug deeper and deeper and deeper and found indeed that the, that the mother, Nell, was absolutely the formative figure in his life. And so much so that I, I learned this through interviews and you know other sources, documentation. People actually thought, Richard, people actually thought in that, in that church, in that congregation, that Reagan was going to be not an actor, but a minister, a minister. Hmm, wow. That's how devout he was. He was very, very, very devout. Everybody knew it. Everybody saw it. So this view in the 1980s, well, he didn't go to church in the 1980s on a regular basis. Uh, his wife consulted astrologers. Yeah, this must not be a real Christian. This is a bid for the moral majority and the you know and the and the Falwell vote, right? No, it's not true. Re- Reagan had a very strong faith from the time he was a boy until his death. One of the things I've always been curious about, so uh, it's no secret that uh, President Reagan originally was a Democrat. Uh, and so, first of all, was his family Democrat or was it kind of the product of growing up during the FDR era when it was kind of it was popular to be a Democrat? Uh, later on, he said that uh, famously said that he didn't leave the party. The party left him. Uh, but at the same time, the, you know, there are. There, there's a, a clip of him talking about his support for President Truman's policies and, and whatnot. So what what happened there? What was the transformation? So, yeah, so the family, the family were Democrats. It was also it was the FDR era. And Reagan was a big FDR Democrat. He called himself a hemophiliac liberal, a, a, bleed, a bleeding heart liberal. And the, in fact, this very much reflects on what R- Ronald Reagan did. He so intimately remembered FDR's fireside chats and FDR communicating by radio, which is what Reagan himself really reveled in doing. And his first public job was, was working in radio. In, in in Iowa specifically, WHO, um, Davenport, Des Moines. And he started, he was a broadcaster for Chicago Cubs games. And in the 1970s, when he left the governorship of California, the first thing he jumped at that he did, he got, he got a syndicated radio column. He wrote all these different syndicated radio columns. I think he did four or five times a week. They were about four to 500 words in length. My good friend, Kyron Skinner, of, she wrote the book, Reagan in His Own Hand. She's at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. She's the one that found the transcripts of, of all of those in the, in the 1990s at the Reagan Library. 
So Reagan went straight to radio. That was his way of communicating to the American people. And then when he became president and, you know, he had the sort of bully pulpit of the of the TV as president, you know, he so looked forward to going around the the, the media, which was entirely liberal at that point. I mean, there's no Fox News. There's nothing. It's all ABC, CBS and NBC, nothing else. So Reagan would go around them by communicating through television. But a lot of those communication skills he, he learned from FDR. And what what really, yeah, later he said, I didn't leave the Democratic Party, the Democratic Party left me. That's so true. And it's so true of many people as the Democratic Party became about the welfare state, got even worse in the great society under LBJ, and then especially on cultural issues, beginning with abortion in the 70s and 80s. I mean, 1973, at the time of Roe v. Wade, the parties were evenly split on abortion. I mean, there were as many pro-choice Republicans as there were pro-choice Democrats, as many pro-life Democrats as there were pro-life Republicans. Ted Kennedy was pro-life. But the Democratic Party went really left on that issue to the point where now you can literally count on one hand, I mean, you know, five at the most, the, the number of pro-life Democrats in Congress. And of course, that was before 21st century, marriage, sexual, gender, all the other issues. So so Reagan was the first of kind of many uh, old liberal Democrats who, as the party veered left, eventually went to the Republican Party. And a big part of that was when Reagan got to Hollywood, he was an after-dinner speaker, and this relates to church again. He was He was an after-dinner speaker, speaking out, giving speeches mainly against fascism. Right, blasting the Nazis, blasting fascism. And he gave one of these speeches at, at his church, the Beverly Christian Church, which is run by a guy named, named the Reverend Cleveland Kleihauer. And Kleihauer said at the end of the speech, he said, Hey, Ron, good job, good job. That great speech. You know, the, I'll tell you, the Nazis, man, they were barbarians. And he said, But but you know, they're gone. Hitler's dead. The war's over. There's nobody in the United States who supports Nazism. But, but you know, there's another ism out there, Ron. It's called communism. And it's in the process, you know, as Churchill and others have pointed out, of taking over all of Europe. So maybe you should add a line somewhere in your speech about, about the dangers of communism. And Reagan said, you know, that's a good idea. I think I'll do that. So he gets called up by his progressive buddies at places like the PCA, Progressive Citizens of America, and other groups that we now know were front groups, started by people like various members of the Hollywood 10. All 10 members of the Hollywood 10 were Communist Party USA numbers. Since October 1947, Congress published their all of their five-digit CPUSA numbers. So guys like Dalton Trumbo, uh, John Howard Lawson, they headed these groups and they would invite Reagan to give these speeches, blasting fascism, blasting. And it was Donnie. You know, everybody would jump up and down. So Reagan takes the Reverend Cleveland Kleihauer's advice after one of these speeches to one of these progressive groups, by the way, most of which were probably genuine progressives. But because they were front groups, they would have communist leadership that would spearhead them and cynically use these groups to try to bring progressives to communist causes. And you know, Reagan started to figure this out. Olivia de Havilland, the wonderful actress who played Melanie in Gone with the Wind and just died at the age of, what, 104 or something like that? Mm-hmm. She was one in of these Paris, people. I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly, in Paris. Yeah. She figured this out as well. Reagan gives a speech, 
And he says, you know, but there's another ism out there and it's called communism. And if that turns out to be the threat to like Nazism was, well, by golly, I'll condemn it just, just as strongly. And, and Reagan said, you could hear a pin drop instead of the raucous applause. Yeah, he said you, there was complete silence. And, you know, later he would be denounced for saying this stuff as, you know, like fascist scum, enemy of the proletariat. But that night, Reagan got called by Jimmy Roosevelt and a couple of other people from the studios. Was it Dory Sherry? Maybe. And he said, Ron, I think you should come over. A few of us are meeting at Olivia de Havilland's apartment tonight. We think you should come over. And he went over and, and told Olivia what happened. She said, yep, this is the same thing I saw. They shared their experiences. And she said, I thought you were one of them, Ron. Right. And he said, no, no, no. So for Reagan, this began a wake up call. And he soon realized that the left, the broader left, was being infected, if not infiltrated, by the far left, the extreme left. And even the ones that weren't far left but were softer liberals were being duped. Reagan himself had been a dupe. Right. He said, he said, I was a dupe. I was duped. So so for Reagan, this began a migration, a sort of push, if you will, out of the Democratic Party. And there are a lot of Cold War Democrats in those days and even into the 60s, like JFK. But but eventually he found that a more hospitable home for all of this, including um, fighting big government, was the Republican Party, not the Democratic Party, which he said had left him. When you say uh, Jimmy Roosevelt, was that the uh, President Roosevelt's son? Yes. Or is that someone? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's right. So a, that's he, right. He knew him, and I guess he was involved in Hollywood. He was. He was. And Reagan was convinced that, he said this a number of times, that he felt that FDR implemented his uh, New Deal stuff at the time of the 1930s because of the Great Depression, which, of course, he did. And Reagan said that he felt that FDR would have never intended for all of this stuff to become permanent, where people end up, as Reagan put it, on the treadmill of dependency of the welfare state. And, and, and then he said, and FDR, FDR surely wouldn't have supported kind of the New Deal on steroids with the Great Society with what LBJ did in the 1960s. Now, we could debate that. That, that might be wishful thinking on Reagan's part because he liked FDR. But uh, but that that's how that's how Reagan interpreted it, that, the, the, you know, his beloved Democratic Party kind of went off the wheels. Bill Clark, who I mentioned earlier, same thing. They were all Democrats. Um, my family, my mother's side, my mom's 100 percent Italian. All all of them, every single one of them, blue collar, union, Catholic Democrats. And um, now, you know, all of their kids are all Republicans, pretty much. And even my grandfather. I, you, I think the last Democrat that he voted for was Harry Truman, which is probably the last Democrat that Reagan voted for, right? But he retained that party membership all along. But by the 80s, he was voting for Reagan. So Reagan very much followed that. And even even by some point by the 80s was leading that um, that shift. So you, you write in Crusader that there's this misperception that he was a B-movie actor, that he was quote, like a bad actor. Uh, what do people get right and what do people get wrong about his acting career? Yeah, it's crazy. I, I, you, I'll tell you, that is something where I didn't realize this until later, really into the 1990s. You talk about sort of political discrimination and the, the way that he was attacked in the 80s as a B-movie actor 
bedtime for Bonzo is just, it's just ludicrous. It's really unfair. Uh, I finally watched Bedtime for Bonzo about five years ago with my kids. My kids loved it. It's actually really well acted. And as, um, it, who are the two guys at TCM? It's my favorite channel. Um, the, cur- the current guy, why can't I think of his name? Mankiewicz, Ben Mankiewicz, whose father worked for, it was an uncle, father worked for RFK and was kind of an old Cold War Democrat, would have known Ronald Reagan. I think the Mankiewicz family is pretty prominent, Tom Mankiewicz, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And the guy the guy that he succeeded at TCM, who just died about two or three years ago, Osborne, Robert Osborne, right? They both talked about this at length. The, uh, animal movies in the 1940s and 50s were really, really big. I mean, really big. Cary uh, Grant, Maybe uh, you know Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> these these were these were those were actually big movies. Those weren't B movies. Reagan did make B movies. So did Humphrey Bogart. I, I mean, they all made B movies. They all made B movies. And I watched not that long ago Reagan's favorite movie, the uh, Where's the Rest of Me? No, not Where's Where's the Rest of Me. Where's the Rest of Me? His memoir came from his line in the movie. Um, uh, about the Gipper, right? No, Newt the, Rockney. The, uh, oh, the Gipper, okay. New Rockney, All American is a, is a, oh, okay. is an A movie. It's it's an A movie. But no, the uh, Where's the Rest of Me? That was in it's Reagan's most famous movie. Do you know what it what it is? Help me out. Oh, I'm white. looking it up. Uh, King's Row. King's Row. King's Row. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people watch King's Row. It's really good. It is really, really good. Watch that. And at the end of that movie, you'll, you'll say to yourself, they called Reagan a B-movie actor? That's just stupid, right? I, I mean, come on. What did I just watch for two hours? No, that's that's top of the shelf. That, you know, that was, and I mentioned Olivia de Havilland. Reagan made Santa Fe Trail with Olivia de Havilland and Errol Flynn. I, I, I mean, come on. And, and Santa Fe Trail, I'd have to look this up. If this isn't after Gone with the Wind, it's it's about the same time. So, so you know, the, these weren't all B movies. And then people don't get this either. When he went to General Electric, General Electric was 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 a, a very high level TV show. And it was it was number one. For a long time, Reagan was there about 1952 to 1961. I, I I include this in my book, The Crusader. I went through and listed the names of all the different actors and actresses who appeared in episodes of General Electric. It, it'll blow you away. It's a who's who list of Hollywood. Because at one time, you know, people don't get this now, but today a major movie star doesn't do TV movies, right? There really aren't t- TV movies anymore. I guess the Hallmark Channel does some of them. But in in the 50s and 60s and 70s, all those golden era Hollywood figures all did TV shows, all of them. I mean, Jimmy Stewart, Bob Hope, uh, you know, they, they, they all did them. And so many of them went on Reagan's show on GE Theater and Reagan himself did a number of TV shows. So he was a highly respected actor, highly respected.
A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read. I think you write somewhere that uh, it might have been in GE Theater that he played a Soviet major during right. one of the episodes. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. That was the yeah. episode where I think it's the episode at the very end of it. He gives a kind of a public message to people watching the show about the revolution in Hungary with the Hungarian freedom fighters, October, November 1956, and urges people to send donations to the Red Cross to different churches, you know, to do anything they can to, to help the Hungarian freedom fighters or um, actually probably the Hungarian refugees at that point, because a massive number of Hungarian citizens took advantage of the chaos to escape through the Iron Curtain when when, when they could. So, yeah, he 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 played that. And, and in GE Theater, this was a weekly show. And typically it would start where Ronald Reagan would come out and say, hi again, everybody. Welcome. I'm Ronald Reagan. And today's episode, which will be starring so-and-so and so-and-so, we have, and then he would introduce the episode. In many of the episodes, Reagan was not just the host introducing the episode, but the actor as well. And so in, in that show, he actually acted. And he did in many of them as, as well. Uh, I'm just thinking about this right now. Who else? Who was the famous actress from the time... Uh, Loretta Young, another one. Loretta Young was in the Christmas movie, The Bishop's Wife, beautiful actress, 30s and 40s, and same kind of path as Reagan, made major films and then got her, her Loretta Young show in the 1950s. Uh, you, I, I could, if I just took a minute, I could name a dozen off the top of my head examples of famous Hollywood actors and actresses who got their own TV show. And that was no demotion, man. That was, that was, that was a, that was a score, right? That was a, that was a big thumbs up. And in the case of Reagan, it put him on TV guide, right? It put him on the cover of TV guide that, that made Reagan a household name, which is why when he ran for president in 1980 and people tried to demonize him, and attack him with all kinds of disparaging comments, most Americans said, oh, no, come on, Ronald Reagan, right? The guy in my TV guide, right? Newt Rockney, All-American, The Gipper, right? The GE Theater, I knew Reagan. You know, Reagan's a nice guy. Reagan's not that. So in many ways, his, his acting career really made possible his presidency. I think there's a, a, a clip somewhere of him in uh, a short, it might have been on GE with G, G, James Dean. I almost said Jimmy Dean, the yeah. sausage guy, but James Dean, which is pretty cool. I think they, I don't know if they found it relatively recently, or at least it was on the internet right. uh, relatively recently. So yeah, yeah, someone James, might have rediscovered it. Yeah, James Dean is one of them. And if um, if anybody watching this, if you have my book, The Crusader, Go just take a look. There's a page where I, I think a paragraph or two, I just start listing the names one after another. Right. You know, you know, Jimmy Stewart, um, you know, just, uh, on and on and on and on. And, and I had to cut back on that. There, there were so many of them. And then I should add this one other way that the Hol that Hollywood really forms him. He became president of the Screen Actors Guild. 
And he was enormously popular as president. I given the crusader the vote to reelect him as president of Screen Actors Guild. And it reminds you of 1984, right? Winning 525 to 13 in the Electoral College. I think it was even more uh, disproportionate than that. So everybody in Hollywood loved him and really appreciated what he he did there. Yeah, boy, that's changed. Um, (laughs) So it's fascinating to picture him in Hollywood during its golden age, working with those legends, as you just mentioned, the Humphrey Bogarts of the world. Who were his close friends in the acting world at that time? Because it's so many people love that era of film and the idea of Ronald Reagan I mean, basically being there and being part of that, it, it, it's such an interesting thing with, you know, when you think about his career later on as a politician. So, yeah, who were his close friends? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Uh, William Holden was was one of them. In fact, um, was he Reagan's best man in his wedding? I heard Nancy? that he was. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Right. Um, and, and he was in... Uh, Sunset Boulevard, so he had right. quite a career. Oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's that's quite a movie. Um, Robert Taylor, right? Uh, yeah, boy, everybody from Jimmy Stewart to John Wayne, um, Johnny Carson. Uh, I you know, one one day I was at the Reagan Library, looking through. I came across a couple letters from Johnny Carson. Right, Johnny Carson donated to Reagan's campaign. There were so many of those big names. They they were Republicans. Bing Crosby, Bob Hope, uh, it, among women. Let me think. Uh, Ginger Rogers. Ginger Rogers was a very strong anti-communist. Who else? Barbara Stanwyck. She was um, a very intense anti-communist. Very strong. Very strong anti-communist. And I I know people in Hollywood today, and there are actually a lot of Republicans in Hollywood today. They're afraid to speak out or speak up. And one of my friends from Hollywood, I'll say to him, hey, um, you know, this person, I've never, I don't know this person's politics. And he's like, well, if you don't know their politics, Republican, right? <laughs> because because they, they, they don't dare speak up, which is a sad testimony to how nasty people on the on the left have become, where people who are conservatives in Hollywood are afraid of being canceled, deplatformed, savaged if they simply come out and, and, and say that they're a Republican. And of course, the people who do that on the left do it in the name of tolerance and diversity. It's 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 just the opposite. Thanks for all these uh, just insights into Reagan's career, pre-presidential career. There's obviously much more we could talk about. But what does Ronald Reagan's story and principles have to offer for people in the 21st century, for people that were too young? Um, you know, for them, Ronald Reagan is somebody they see in a history book, but they might, you know, they don't have the memories. What, what does his story have to offer? Well, I think the most moving thing about him, he once said, 77 is the most important number in my life. And that referred to his time as a lifeguard at the Rock River in Dixon, Illinois in the 1920s, when for seven summers, seven days a week, working for a few dollars a day and food from the concession stand, he was a lifeguard at the Rock River in Lowell Park in Dixon, Illinois. And it was there that Reagan saved the lives of 77 people which is really amazing. I mean, I have a lot of students who were, who were lifeguards 
And they, they say, hey, you know, Dr. Kengor, I got to tell you, I never saved anybody, <laughs> right? I never even had to dive in one time. But but 77 people in this, I've been to that river. It's murky. It's dark. The, 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 the water is swirling. There are logs going up and down the river. When my guide took me there the first time, she had been a childhood friend of Ronald Reagan. She, I, I said, people swam in this? And, and she said, yeah, do you believe it? She said, look over here. And the sign on the beach said, no swim. I said, did it look this way then? She said, yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. And the, the Dixon Evening Telegraph, the Dixon newspaper, one day reporting the latest save by Ronald Dutch Reagan. I think it was save number 25 or something like that, 1928, one summer in 1928, noted that Reagan would watch up to a thousand bathers, right, swimmers at a time in a day. This guy who had to wear glasses, and who would dive into this dark water. And I, I, I mentioned this, Richard, because his son, Ron, has said this. His son, uh, Mike, Michael Reagan, has pointed to this. Others have pointed this out. This kind of ingrained in Reagan, this sort of life-saving mentality. And, and Bill Clark pointed this out as well. It, it kind of instilled in him this respect for the sanctity and dignity of every human life. You know, the idea that every human life was precious and worth fighting for, worth worth saving. And from a spiritual point of view, Reagan said, this is the difference between us and the Soviets. We believe that every individual is made in the image of God and has a soul and thus is eternal. And thus, every individual is more incomparably important than the state. So, so for Reagan, he takes that into the 1980s and he believes that it's a righteous cause uh, to to try to win the Cold War and liberate all those people behind the Iron Curtain, as he put in the Evil Empire speech, in that totalitarian darkness. And at a time, late 70s, when nobody believed that you could win the Cold War, especially peacefully, Reagan dedicated himself to doing just that. And amazingly, and I lived through this, 1989, for all of that to happen, the Berlin Wall to collapse, the final year of Reagan's presidency, it was astonishing, astonishing. And for it to happen without a missile fired completely peacefully, that's a great testament to, 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 to Reagan, also to Mikhail Gorbachev, Pope John Paul II, Margaret Thatcher, Lech Walesa, Vaclav Havel, the Solidarity Movement, the people of Eastern Europe. But, uh, but for Reagan... I think you could take that all the way back to the 1920s in Dixon, Illinois, when he first kind of got that lifesaver mentality at the Rock River in Dixon, Illinois. Uh, great story to end on. And uh, Professor Kenger, just thank you so much for being on our show and uh, just sharing your uh, many years of studying President Reagan. Uh, again, for our listeners, uh, Professor Kenger has written several books on President Reagan, Crusader, uh, God and Ronald Reagan, The Reagan Presidency. Uh, we encourage you all to check it out. Um, and, uh, of course the movie that Dennis Quaid is in where he's starring as president Reagan is based on your book. So make sure to check that out as well. But professor Kenger, thank you again for being on our show. Happy to do so, Richard. Thanks. And thanks for all your good work. This American president is produced by myself, Richard Lim and Michael Neal. If you like what you've been hearing, you can help us by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to our show. I'm Richard Lim. We're back next time with more This American President.
Hello everyone, my name is Tom Kearns and I host the Anglo-Saxon England podcast, where I cover the history and culture of England from the departure of the Romans in the 5th century to the Norman Conquest in 1066. So far we've surveyed the collapse of Roman rule in Britain, the migration of the Anglo-Saxons and the history of Northumbria from its beginnings in the mists of legend to its destruction at the hands of Viking raiders in the 9th century. I hope you'll come and give it a go.